Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of The Daily Objective. And today is Freedom Friday, the day when we fight. We fight for freedom, but we don't fight with guns and atomic bombs. We fight with a much more potent weapon, ideas. And uh, we're going to be discussing something somewhat controversial, actually, in today's, uh, in today's intellectual landscape. But enough for me. Let's talk to a man whose name I've pronounced in many different ways. And not once, not once have I asked him how to pronounce it. A man uh, who, who hails from Greece itself, just like philosophy as a discipline. Nikos Sotirakopoulos. Very close this time. Hi, hi, everyone. So today's daily objective is to understand uh, the moral implication of Hiroshima. And for me personally, uh, it's, it's a very interesting topic because till a very late age, at least till probably 32, it never occurred to my life that this was anything but a horrendous crime because that's how we were raised to believe, at least in Greece. So the idea was that we won the Second World War, but there was always this asterisk of the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But the very interesting thing is we never discussed why this was a horrendous thing. Now, obviously, and I'm very open here, 200,000 people dying, many of them by any account innocent, by the mere fact that they are very young or un unable to resist the tyrannical regime of, of Empire Japan, many of these people were innocent in every possible way. So this is not to say that this is not, this is not something which is, you know, something which should be dealt with the most heavy kind of seriousness. But the idea was always that, well, the Americans did this mostly to pass a message and mostly because they were bad. And for example, there are many, there are even, there's even a Greek punk group that has a, a song about Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So some years ago, I was very surprised to come across a view that says that apparently Hiroshima and Nagasaki was not a war crime, but was actually something that was even someone could say moral because of various reasons. So that's the topic we're going to discuss tonight. And let's start with, with Raka's take on the topic. And then we're going to throw a lot of discussion. We're going to throw the practical element, the moral element. And we're not gonna, I'm not going to give an answer till the end. So we're going to follow all the data, all the kind of moral facts, the facts and the moral values and what. And at the end, we'll see whether we can say that it was justified. So Raka. So this is a very derivative topic, the topic of World War II, the topic of foreign policy, the topic of war, which is really, it presupposes the topic of the proper role of government. And that in itself is derivative. Politics as a whole derives from more basic fundamental branches of philosophy, like ethics, epistemology, values as they fall within those, um, and of course, metaphysics. It's just it becomes very difficult to argue about this topic. So if, you, if, you, if, if, if you're uh, for a hawkish foreign policy for the purpose of protecting the rights of your own citizens, which I think is the proper role of government, but the person you're talking to does not share that premise, then you might as well be speaking different languages. And um, I know a lot of our so-called you know, friends or fellow travelers in the liberty movement, the liberty world, libertarians and even anarchists probably I don't, I don't consider them allies but they might think of themselves as sort of quote randian for them 
foreign policy is a bridge too far. Like, you know, nuking people to them, that is just unacceptable. They say there's no way a free country or liberty ever calls for nuking people. But I will offer the following equivalent uh, difficulty, like such as when we're advocating for capitalism and we're, when we're debating or discussing with people and we point out to them, look at how capitalism raises the standard of living of the individual of the individual, the person who wants to live a flourishing value-driven life, look at what capitalism allows for that person to achieve. But that argument doesn't work on the person we might be talking to because they're not coming from the same uh, place. For them, who says that the individual human being is the standard? What about the animals that are being sacrificed? Or what about the fact that, you know, okay, the white man is benefiting from capitalism, but he's only doing so on the backs of slaves from yesterday or slaves elsewhere. Um, or, I mean, just beyond that, who says values are to be pursued? Maybe nihilism is correct and all pursuit of values is a crime against the universe, as many philosophical thinkers end up, even if they don't spell it out that way. We need to have a clear, a clear uh, understanding of the more basics of philosophy to, to arrive at the conclusion that, yes, uh, as an individual, I have a certain uh, objective way to observe the world and then to pursue values in order to live, in order to live as a human being, which means happiness as the sort of underlying state that I want to achieve and, and many other things. Then the question arises of, okay, which system allows me to live that way? Of course, capitalism, both in theory and in practice, is demonstrably the system for rational human beings to live on Earth. And then we can sort of uh, make the case for capitalism to the person we're talking to. Now let's shift back over to war and foreign policy. So too, um, we need to have like those lower, those more basic, I should say, uh, fundamental branches of philosophy covered to then make the case that a very, very nasty war is sometimes necessary to protect a free country. And you can certainly say maybe America made mistakes leading up to World War II that made World War II happen, you know, made up, put us in that position. You could also say America is guilty of crimes against its own citizens in a way that makes America, you know, rid riddled in shame. And that's a, you can certainly make that case. But in the context of a relatively free country like the US in the time of World War II, facing imperialist Japan, in that context, to say that America should do everything necessary to end the war decisively and with certainty and with moral certainty and confidence to say that is, I think, the correct position. And if that means testing out this new weapon that was just invented, the atomic bomb, to send a message, not just to um, frustrate the, the uh, strength of the Japanese, not just to hurt their, their military, but to send a message even to their civilians. Your leaders have led you astray. This is not a, you're not going to win this. You need to lose faith in your leaders. And then to, after dropping that bomb, if, they're, if the Japanese are unwilling to surrender, drop another one. And when they finally surrender, it doesn't even end there. Then they need to be presented with a constitution and say, this is your new guide for setting up a, a civilization. You are not children of the sun, uh, uh, you know, manifesting the wishes of the sun god by raping the Chinese anymore. No, you are now going to follow this constitution and 
you're going to learn how to play baseball, which is exactly what the Japanese did. It's not, it, I, we don't celebrate the deaths of people that, that got the, the bomb dropped on them. Believe me, I don't celebrate that. But what is to be celebrated is the courage that it took for Truman. Imagine trying to fall asleep that night, being Truman, having oh after making that decision. But it, oh, took, it was God. a decision that was made, and it was made with the at least implicit, or I mean, certainly explicit, uh, purpose of winning the war decisively. And you so, don't win wars by warning the enemy. You don't win wars by, you know, by trying to be proportionate to that. You absolutely win decisively. And now I'll pass it back to you. So let's see the bit of context. What kind of war is that? Because quite often people have this mistaken idea about Imperial Japan, probably influenced by today's Japan and its very beautiful culture and all that stuff. Now, Japan was for decades, or at least from the 30s, but for some areas even earlier, terrorizing the area. And when I say the term terrorizing, I always keep changing my mind which regime was more horrendous, Imperial Japan or Nazi Germany. Because Nazi Germany has the horrors in Europe, the Holocaust to, to, to give to the world. But if you see Japan horrendous war crimes, they it's not something as systematic, but in a way it's more indiscriminate, but equally horrendous. So where to start? To start, from example, from the massacre in Nanking in China. If you want, read the book, The Rape of Nanking. Or if you're a fan of Joko Willing, who I am, he had done two shows, one show about the rape of Nanking, where he reads the book with his characteristic voice. And it's really hard to listen. Like, you can be the toughest guy in the world. At some point, you need to press pause and say, oh, my God, I can't. Or read about Unit 731. So if you don't know what this was, it was in what is today China. And as you said, Japan had occupied China. And the best way I could, the simplest way I could describe it is basically doing experiments in human beings. But the most interesting thing is not the horror of these experiments, which again, if you'd see this in a horror film, you'd say, come on, that's ridiculous. This cannot have happened. The most interesting thing is that according to some data, Japan had a, a production capacity at the eve of Hiroshima, not at just some days before Hiroshima, of 100 million flea-breeding insects. So they were producing every few days millions of flea-breeding insects. And what was the goal? The goal is to create millions and millions and millions of insects and basically release them with typhoid, anthrax, cholera, so again, this is something which is unimaginable. The evil of the Japanese empire was unimaginable. Now, so hopefully up to this point, our friends who say that Hiroshima was unnecessary, at least hopefully at this point, they should agree that we should defeat Japan. If for nothing else, because they were terrorizing the continent for decades and every month that was passing, there is evidence that hundreds of thousands of people were dying in the occupied territories. Philippines, Singapore, China, obviously because of its size, you know, the numbers there are basically an outlier, but also in their battle with the Americans, even in small islands or even in the battle of Okinawa, America would have thousands of deaths, but the Japanese would have way more deaths. So when we say they were dying almost up to the last soldier, this is, a, this is true. The idea that the Japanese would not surrender is not a myth. So basically, the question is, how can we defeat Japan? We need to make an invasion in Japan. 
Now, this would be the battle to end all other battles in history. The Japanese were literally ready to die. And how do we know this? We know this that even when Japan surrendered, there were many of its military leaders who had mental breakdowns, suicide, because surrender was almost unimaginable. There was one thing more unimaginable than surrender, which was the nuclear bomb. So it was, I believe, a game changer. So the question is this then. You have a war that is causing significant more deaths than the deaths in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which we both said, it's not a spectacle that we'd ever want to see again. It's horrendous, right? So my question to our friends who say it was not necessary, I have two questions. The first question, and I haven't yet entered entirely the moral argument. My first question is this, what was the alternative for the surrender of Japan? The world going on indefinitely? And please don't give me the, oh, the Soviets would invade. I mean, if you care about human lives indiscriminately, how many lives did the Soviets lose to occupy Germany? They lost hundreds, they lost like tens of thousands only in the Battle of Berlin, which lasted like two, we two weeks and the Germans were fighting with like 15 year old. Imagine how many lives this would take. Imagine how many Japanese lives this would take. And my final question is this, and then I'll give it back to, I'll, I'll pass it back to you. How many of your soldiers would you be willing to sacrifice to defeat an evil empire? Again, this is not a question of, well, this is not clear who is, who is bad, or this is not a question of like Vietnam, like, should we really be there? Why are we doing this? We're napalming like farmers who've never heard about communism in their life. Like, this is not one of these cases. This is a case you have a clear bad guy and a clear good guy. And my sincere question to the people who say it was unnecessary is, how many of your people would you be willing to sacrifice to occupy Japan? 10,000, 20,000, 200,000, 100,000? Because we're talking about numbers that go towards 100,000 plus. Again, only for the American casualties, not to even mention the Japanese casualties. So these are my two questions. What's your alternative? And how many good people from both sides, let's say also the innocents, let's say the kids or whatever, would you be willing to sacrifice? I mean, I think even your question sort of presupposes that America is going to win. But the question is, you know, what's the best way to get there or that pe most people agree that America, sh we're the good guys and should win. And I mean, you're, you're, you're assuming a lot of things about the opposition's premises. Also, with regards to the, the horrors committed by the Japanese, I mean, it's worth studying and remembering and acknowledging and never repeating but not because of that is why America should defeat them. America's job is not to go around and not, not, to, in, not to beat Germany because of the atrocities they're committing, not to defeat Jap Japan because of their atrocities, but, be, but in order to defend America, in order to defend Americans, because of the threat posed to the U.S. by Japan is why America needed to win that war and to do it decisively. Um, but remember, the, the premises cannot be taken for granted. Not everyone agrees that Japan, or okay, like you're, you're going through a list of atrocities committed by Japan, but when people drop context of, of the way that they do, they can just point to Hiroshima and say, well, look at all that, or look at all the horrors, look at the people, look at the, um, I mean, there's a book called Hiroshima that I, was, that I was told to read in high school that was assigned reading. It goes through a very, very ugly view of what it looked like to have the bomb dropped 
on people, which is a nasty thing to to see. So this cannot be a contest of like who's got more bodies on their side because the left can definitely fight that back or the libertarians or whoever, the anti-war, which is virtually everyone these days, um, virtually everyone in, in the mainstream drops context of what it means for a free country to defend itself. Um, if it, so if it's just a question of body counts, that is not a battle. Like that is not a war of ideas. We want to fight. We want to fight is the, uh, the context of those bodies, the context of why actions are taken and America in that context, even with America's, you know, uh, blemishes in its moral, in its moral fabric in that context had every moral justification to defend itself and to win that war against Japan with the utmost of moral confidence. Um, yeah, as far as, you know, what's the alternative? I mean, there is no alternative to winning decisively and quickly with every weapon in your arsenal. And how many lives are you willing to, uh, you know, sacrifice? Uh, a, a country should never sacrifice even one, not even one. I mean, it is implied when you go to war that you're risking your life in order to defend your values, to defend your way of life, that it is implied that you would rather risk death than live, you know, under the oppression of the enemy. So, for instance, as an, you know, I'd rather die fighting uh, against Japan than live under imperialist Japan, Japanese rule. However, the job of the U.S. government is to minimize deaths of its own troops. And, you know, um, my oldest living relative, my oldest living relative, I don't I don't speak about my family often. My oldest living relative, he was uh, American born. He was on the boat uh, going to invade Japan when word got came to them that. The, that Hiroshima had been bombed and the invasion is canceled and they turned around and uh, sailed back to America. He probably would not uh, have survived. I'm, like many people would not have survived an invasion and uh, I wouldn't be here today. But anyway, this is not about, you know, uh, uh, assessing history in order to ha have me be, be born. The, 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 uh, the, of course, the criteria is what is the job of a government? Remember, again, like I said earlier, we, need, we cannot take for granted the premises that we hold. The job of the government is to protect the rights of the individual, the, the, the individuals in its own country. And the rights of its individuals are derived from human nature, which are derived from a, an objective view of man, of values, and a, a, sound, a, a tight, airtight epistemology. These, all of these branches of philosophy are indispensable. And when people downplay this, they say, oh, that's not what's important. But you can see why it's important, because even our fellow free market thinkers, they won't even join us on this on this uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to war, when it comes to foreign policy, let alone the anti-capitalists out there. So it's it, it becomes a very, very lonely uh, hill to climb when we don't have people with us philosophically on the on a fundamental level. So I agree with what you said, but here's why I did this almost utilitarian detour, which, by the way, I don't think it is because when you decide, should I fight this battle and by what means, it also has to do with the enemy. Like, for example, if Granada like, uh, says something uh, uh, offensive, it's completely different from when Japan, and by the way, including to the people they were slaughtering, there were POWs in a war that Japan has initiated. But here's why I went that route, because I wanted to make a point. And the point is that altruism, because this is at the end of the day an altruistic argument, says I want your people to die, not the good, not people from the enemy. And yes, you could say, well, the Japanese kid is not my enemy. Yes, but what does this mean? Does this mean that the people who are on the defense should die? 
So we've said, not we, like objectivism says many times that altruism is an, a philosophy which is impossible to live by. Impossible to live by. Imagine waking up one morning and say, today, my 24 hours is going to be an altruistic pursuit. It's probably the altruism, you're going to end up dead at the end of these 24 hours. But also, in the same way, there cannot be a good, in my opinion, and consistent altruistic argument. So there is no way for the people who say, no, it was not justified, to explain to me how, in moral terms, where there is something which is good and something which is bad, in non-relativistic terms, how you can tell me that there was another way to end this war, which would be better for the good, or even worse, bad for the bad, but the good would still win without without hurting. So, the, the, I mean, people again. I mean, uh, like I'm a broken record, but people they don't necessarily even have our premises of what's good and evil, or most people don't. So, I mean, when like you point to Japan, to them, to a lot of people, they see Japan now with uh, Pokemon and Hello Kitty, you know, billboards hanging up where where there used to be, you know, beautiful, pristine villages and feudal culture, like. To a lot of people, capitalism is the problem with the world. And the fact that today France has McDonald's and the fact that um, Japan has, you know, uh, commercialism to them, this is not a good outcome to them. It's not, it's unclear to them that America were the good guys because, you know, capitalism is a crime against nature and it's and it and it uh, weak. It um, weakens the soul of, of humans. It makes us you know, uh, ugly and, and, and shallow. So to a lot of people, they're not necessarily on board that, that the quote freedom, you know, the free country needed to win. They're not, they're not entirely sure that freedom goes with capitalism in the way that you and I see it. So, uh, we can argue with people about this topic all day, but they don't necessarily, we're not necessarily even having the same conversation with them. If, if, if we haven't discussed the more fundamental levels of philosophy. So the conclusion then is that maybe before starting eat any of these discussions, you need to make sure what are your premises and what are your discussion premises. Because yeah, if the if if their premises is I want a glorious death, yeah, then maybe you know yeah, kamikaze were with the good guys. But a, anyway. a glorious death or a very simple life, a communal life. I mean, a non-capitalist life is what people usually mean. But I will go a step further and say if we if we make if the world becomes objectivist that is if intellectuals embrace objectivism and if that philosophy spreads into the culture through the arts through the media and finally to politics if that becomes the world then the question of war and self defense will become so easy it'll become so derivative people will not drag their feet on that this is a this is not the this is not the battle pardon the pun the the bombing of hiroshima is not the battle we we need to fight for values the question of values epistemology and ethics, that is where the battle is. We beat that battle. Believe me, uh, the, the rest of the world will be celebrating the bombing of Hiroshima, including the Japanese themselves. They will be thanking Truman for liberating them of the mysticism of the, of, of the empire. And the, and the results of mysticism, because quite often we talk about mysticism, like it's like someone, no, no, no. The result of mysticism is the unprecedented horror that that continent lived for like more than like 15 years, at least including China, more if you include Korea, under one of the most horrendous regimes that the world has ever seen. And again, if you have the stomach, go read about the rape of Nanking, go read about Unit 731. Now, having said that, that's probably not the way people want to 
spend their weekend. But uh, yeah, hopefully we're going to be back. Uh, sometimes we have fun topics. Yesterday we discussed Tony, Tommy Lorenz viral video. Other times we're going to go to more like dark topics. But hey, that's the show. So from me and from Raka, all the best. Have a good weekend.